Well, hello everyone, and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Callum Johnston, and today's podcast is part of a series of webinars and publications on the topic of health and well-being in Scottish agriculture. So far in the series, we've looked at mental health and resilience, the importance of maintaining good physical health for performance and well-being, and also the support that charities and organisations can offer to help you with your mental and physical health. If you haven't done so already, check out the webinar recordings and more information is available on the FAS website and YouTube channel. All of this work is funded by the Scottish Government, so a big thank you for their ongoing support. Today's podcast is on nutrition. Uh, nutrition plays a crucial role in our health and well-being and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by Anna Groom who is a registered dietitian and nutritionist running her own business supporting people to improve and adapt their diets. Anna welcome how are you today? I'm really good thank you. How's the weather down in your part of the world? It's actually beautiful today. Um, it was a little breezy on the walk to school, um, but otherwise the sun's coming out. There's not too much cloud, so fingers crossed it's going to be a nice day. Excellent. Well, before we dive straight in uh, to the topic of nutrition, could you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to, to being a nutritionist? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm, a, I'm a registered dietitian, um, but probably more importantly, I'm a mum of two um, and wife of one. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I qualified from Surrey University um, about nearly 20 years ago now. Gosh, it seems a long time ago. I still work within the NHS. I work with young children and young people with diabetes um, and eating disorders. But yes, you're right. I um, I run my own freelance business um, as well, working with people both in one-to-one sessions um, and group sessions as well. And that's young children through to sort of elderly people as well. Um, and I do a lot of work with athletes. I'm a sports dietitian, so helping them improve their performance as well. I guess thinking about being a dietitian, I always like to think about why I became a dietitian, really. And I think I've always just had a fascination with how food affects us um, from a positive and a negative point of view. So, yeah, um, I think it's always been a, a good passion. You're also, I also believe you live and work on, on a very busy uh, farm. Uh, how do you manage to juggle your time as a, as a nutritionist and the busy farming calendar? Yes, that's right. Um, I do live on a small family farm. Um, it's a mixed farm. Um, we, we are quite small for our area. We're only 300 acres um, and we do a bit of contract farming, about 200 acres. I've got a small red, ho- uh, red pole herd, which my daughter likes to show. Um, she's uh, very excited about being young handler and winning awards and like, shiny trophies and things. And we've got free range chickens as well. We do a lot of hens and eggs. And then we diversified into holiday cottages as well. So it is, yeah, it's, you know, farming life. It's a crazy life and it's, it ships in the night, isn't it? We all, we all take our part. My husband works on the farm with my, with my father. 
um, and then my mum's around to make sure that we're all we're all okay really look after the pick the children up from school and and everything so it's just amazing teamwork I think family teamwork that that creates creates a good environment. Wow certainly busy Um thinking about the basics of nutrition then what is nutrition and why is it important? So I guess in its basic form um, nutrition is the process of providing and obtaining fuel um, that's necessary for our bodies um, for, for growth and for health really to promote good health um, and it's important right from well preconception right through to, to later years I guess and it, our nutrition requirements change throughout all different times of our life and so it's an ever-evolving thing it's something that we need to think about it's something that we need to change on an ongoing basis and it's really important that we consider um, nutrition and appropriate nutrition to, to promote good health and to prevent ill health and disease later on in life and I know we always think about it in other people but we always need to think about it in ourselves and, and people around us as well. You know it's something I guess from a very early age it's drilled into us from our parents from our carers you know right at school age to eat a healthy balanced diet but what is a healthy balanced diet? So a healthy balanced diet would be um, a diet that includes foods from all of the main nutrient groups so it would be our macronutrients so energy carbohydrate protein fats fibers and then also thinking about our micronutrients as well so thinking about our calcium iron vitamins vitamin a vitamin the b group vitamins vitamin c gosh there's, there's lots of them and um, we need to make sure that we eat all of these include them in our diet in the correct amounts to promote health because we know for example that if we have too much sugar in our diet um, it can have a negative effect on our teeth if we have poor teeth as children that actually affects our nutrition as elderly people not able to eat and chew foods um, so it can have, have a negative effect long term so we know about healthy eating. Most people know the five a day campaign, making sure we have our five portions of fruit and veg a day. A lot of people will know that we shouldn't have too much sugar. We shouldn't have too much fat. But actually, a, a balance is, should be a positive thing as well. It should be making sure that we do include lots of different proteins in our diet, making sure we do eat carbohydrates in our diet and, and having a little bit of everything, which is sometimes where people fall into difficulty because how much of everything should we be eating, I guess. You mentioned at the start there that you, you know, you've always had an interest in, in nutrition, but why did you set up your business, AEG Nutrition? And, you know, where did the idea come from? So I think initially I wanted to be able to provide a service that was unique and tailored to each individual person. So I love working within the NHS, but we do have constraints with how often we can see people. Um, and I think for individuals to meet their goals, you need to be able to be adaptable. Um, so I wanted to be able to provide a service that we didn't have to wait for and was also at a time appropriate to that person. So whether it was early morning, whether it was evening, whether it was weekend, I would be able to you know, be able to support that person to be able to achieve their goals. And from a personal level also, I want to be able to plan my diary a little bit easier. So that if I wanted to work from home, if I wanted to be able to pick the children up or watch a hockey match on a you know Wednesday afternoon or something I'd have a little bit more flexibility and obviously when you when you're in business as much as the majority of the time you try and pack as much as you possibly can into every day you have got a little bit of flexibility as well. 
when we think about the words nutrition in the context of farming, the first thing that we often think about, or many farmers will think about, is livestock nutrition. And, you know, through the Farm Advisory Service, we've covered lots on livestock nutrition and continue to do so. But do you think, Anna, that personal nutrition is sometimes neglected or overlooked in the farming community? Yes. <laughs> in a word um I do and actually there was a, a small study done in Ireland a few years ago looking at the, the health interaction of farmers and agricultural workers and it reflected exactly what my thoughts were really um of my local farming community during certain times of the year arable farmers it on the brain it's 24 7 isn't it it's harvesting and then after harvesting it's you know land preparation it's drilling it's there's no time for everything else so health niggles basically have to wait until they physically stop the individual. And and I know also with my husband with livestock farming, it's not possible to sit on the phone waiting in a queue at eight o'clock in the morning for a doctor's appointment. It, it just doesn't fit in. So quite often the, there's a culture also, I think, in farming that a certain level of stress, a certain amount of back pain, almost a certain amount of exhaustion is normal. And, and if you haven't got that, you're not quite doing it right. Which, which shouldn't be the case. So I think definitely um, there's a lot of neglect and there's a lot of people not accessing health at the right time. Um, and we want to be a lot more proactive rather than reactive. That's really interesting. And it actually links into my next question, which is on that theme of a lot of farmers at, and crofters at very busy times of year. You know, we're just coming up to the end of harvest in a lot of places you know, springtime lambing and calving can be very time consuming and a lot of farmers won't have time to necessarily think about anything else other other than the farm and what's happening on the farm. And, you know, cooking from scratch takes time. You know, I, I know myself, um, you know, you'll know this, that, you know, planning a meal, preparing a meal is very time consuming and not everyone will have time in their busy schedules to plan and prepare meals. So what advice would you give to farmers who are time limited but do want to cook from scratch or eat more healthily? So I think there's a few things that we can do. Um, some of it with regards to preparation, it's not necessarily thinking on that morning about what you can do for the rest of the day, but it's thinking about the week in advance, for example, or two weeks in advance. So when we have got quieter periods, um, almost bulk cooking and putting things in the freezer because if you want to go and buy a ready meal you know certain ready meals are absolutely fine a lot of the time they'll have a lot of bad press for being really high in calories really high in fat and really high in salt but actually if you look at food labels correctly you can find healthier options the other thing is is thinking about actually having a balanced meal that's quick and easy is easy because you can use like cheap things like um, microwave rice pouches for example frozen vegetables and some cold roast meat put that together it takes five minutes and, and it's a really quick and easy meal things like um, noodles that you can put into soup makes a really healthy super noodle type dish and then using things that you can take away with you so using flasks using thermos pots making things in the morning and taking them out with you for the day having things outside, whether you've got a kettle outside, if there's a, a space at all. Um, you know, a lot of our farms locally who go through lambing, um, I always get them to have a kettle outside. You need to be able to put it on to have hot drinks to keep you going through the nights, through the early mornings. 
you need to be able to you know take hot milk out with you in a flask and have hot chocolates and you know that kind of thing as well so some of it's around the attitude and knowledge around what does constitute a healthy quick meal um, and what can we use instead you know using things like tinned tinned fish for example you can mix that through with some stir-fried vegetables and and have that with a jacket potato or whatever it doesn't have to take a long time to cook a healthy meal you just need the ideas and you just need to have some resources in the freezer or in the fridge or in the cupboard in your work uh, as a nutritionist dietitian working with a lot of farmers what would you say are the main benefits of eating well so the main benefit is promoting health long time long term because we want to promote longevity taking my father as an example he wants to continue to farm until he can't and we need to be able to support that and so making sure that we provide efficient fuel um, in the correct quantities to be able to promote health so he's healthier for longer we don't want to just be older but with more health complications Um, we want to actually be healthier in our older years I think thinking on a on a day-to-day basis providing sustained energy if you don't have an appropriate diet if you wake up and you have a really high sugary cereal for example you'll be really energetic in sort of half an hour later but then you know a couple of hours later you'll have that slump when you have that slump it could be when you come in and you open the post and you've then got bills and checks and then you're psychologically in a downward place when you're also looking at something that's not that's negative so it's thinking about trying to maintain mood and behaviour with our food as well as with our actions and making sure that we don't have things like low iron levels because that can make us tired, that can make us fatigued. In an industry where I think we also have lots of social isolation, which can have a negative mental health effect, um, actually we want to be having foods that are promoting and supporting our mental health. Um, so things like bananas before bed, things like you know yogurt before bed, helps with a it provides an amino acid called tryptophan, which helps you get to sleep. We know that having effective sleep restores, it recovers, it makes us feel better the next day. So there's lots of novel ways that we can include nutrition to support health and and actually our our feeling on a day-to-day basis to to make us feel better, really. Wow, a banana before bed. I'll need to try that one. I've never (laughs) had a banana. It's usually a first thing in the morning with my porridge or cereal, but I've never tried it at night. So that's really interesting. You mentioned there, Anna, you you gave the description of your father uh, and the sort of trying to promote longevity, I guess, in agriculture. What are some of the long-term health complications associated with poor diet? So the obvious long-term complications are those associated with weight um, and eating excess calories, regardless of whether they come from fat, carbohydrate or protein. um, If it leads to excess weight gain, we have long-term health complications. So things like high blood pressure, um, which can be also exacerbated by high stress levels, which we know we experience in farming anyway. Things like high cholesterol levels, um, having high cholesterol, um, so a type of fat in the blood, increases our risk of coronary heart disease, it increases our risk of stroke. And then also things like nutritional deficiencies with regards to if we don't have enough calcium in our diet, then we know we've got increased risk of osteoporosis in later age. Um, and we don't want increased fractures, for example. There's multiple health complications that actually can be reduced if we think about having that that balanced diet and um, the appropriate amount of calories and physical activity um, in daily life. 
we've mentioned eating, but what about staying hydrated? Um, what are the benefits of staying hydrated and what would your advice be? So yeah, hydration is often something that gets forgotten about um, and actually is really, really important because it helps maintain our blood pressure. Um, so if we're very dehydrated, our blood pressure can drop and it can make us feel very faint and dizzy. And obviously that's not conducive to good decision making or getting up and down tractors or lifting heavy, heavy bales, etc. If we're dehydrated, we're fatigued, increased risk of fatigue. And certainly from, a, from an athlete point of view, and if we think about our farmers who are really physically active, being dehydrated can affect our performance or our strength and our liftability by sort of 20%, which is a significant amount, really. Um, so it can increase your risk of injury um, if you're not able to, to do that lift. And I think at the moment, it's also really important to think about the effect of hydration on our immune system. Um, particularly, we're still in covid our, our mouth and the saliva in our mouth is our first form of defence. Um, and so with our immune system, it's really important to make sure we're hydrated to maintain the amount of saliva in our mouth. You can all think about having a dry mouth and it increases our risk of upper respiratory tract infections. So things like coughs, colds, etc. And if we're not hydrated, it can increase the length of time it takes to recover from those. Um, and we know as farmers, if you don't access health, it's then going to perpetuate and, and you're going to become sicker. So yeah, hydration is really important, particularly if you've got the luxury of um, an air-conditioned tractor, because they make you really dehydrated, but then you don't feel thirsty. So must think about hydration all the time. That's really interesting. In terms of if farmers and crofters are, are listening to this, how many litres of water should we be drinking every day? And how can we monitor our fluid intake? How can we tell if we're consuming enough fluid or not? So our actual fluid requirements are very individual based on our activity levels um, and based on our body weight. But as a general rule, we look at six to eight cups as a minimum. So that would be sort of 1500 mils to two litres in a day. But if we're very physically active, if we're sweating a lot, obviously we would need to replace more fluid than that. The ideal way is to obviously have your own water bottle. And again, during these times with making sure we maintain our immune system, we wouldn't be sharing water bottles trying to have one some people find ones with timings on the side to encourage you to drink by a certain amount um, so drink 100 mils by nine o'clock 10 o'clock 11 o'clock some people find those work but with regards to assessing our own hydration actually weeing in our urine is the easiest way to do this and regardless of what age of groups I talk to or individuals men are so much better at this than women so women farmers we need to take note as well the colour of our urine tells us a lot about how hydrated we are. For obvious reasons, it's easier for men to look at this than women. But the darker the colour, the more dehydrated we are. The stronger the smell, the more dehydrated we are. The lower the volume, the more dehydrated we are. So we need to be thinking about what is the normal colour for us? Um, and thinking about it from an agricultural term, actually straw yellow is a very good colour for our wee to be. Um, it's kind of quite a pale yellow colour. Uh, we don't want any, you know, dark concentrated orange urine um, and we don't want completely see-through urine either. Um, we want something in between. I know it can be a pain to be keeping stopping the tractor or stopping where you are getting out and having a wee, but it's really, really important. We should be drinking plenty through the day and it doesn't just have to come from water either. It can be sugar-free fluids. It can be some decaffeinated drinks. Um, you know, it can be some fruit juice. We would say no more than one cup of fruit juice a day and then it will be included in our five a day as well. 
but yeah whatever you want to drink as long as it's not too high in sugar and as long as it's not all alcohol then um, we can include most things that really nicely brings me on to my next question which is around caffeine now personally i love coffee i i cannot go like i cannot function without coffee uh, during the day but from your viewpoint you know what is a healthy caffeine intake and what can we do to either reduce or or try new things if we're finding that we're drinking a lot of caffeine every day no i'm also a coffee lover um, but i would challenge that you need coffee to get you through the day i think it's a habit and i think it's a social cue and you do certain things and it's part of your routine every morning and if you haven't had your coffee, it's your routine that's out. It's not anything else. However, saying that, I do love a cup of coffee. Caffeine is a stimulant. Um, and so, yes, it wakes us up. and But it also increases our blood pressure and our heart rate. So for some people, caffeine is a no-go. Um, so we would generally recommend one or two cups of tea or coffee, absolutely fine, in a day, unless you've got a medical condition that would stop you from doing so. But other than that, we would generally recommend caffeine-free because of the increased risk of the heart rate and because it can be dehydrating as well if we have excessive caffeine and we obviously don't want to promote dehydration. So a small amount is absolutely fine, but yeah, probably no more than two to three cups in a day is what we'd recommend. But don't forget you also get caffeine from other things. So chocolate um, has got caffeine in it as well and people often forget that. So, you know, choosing hot chocolate rather than a cup of tea isn't always a, a better option, but you know, things like fruit teas, if you like them, and decaf teas and coffees mixed in with all of the others. I'm really pleased you said that caffeine is good. It's it's in, in moderation. Um, so I'm pleased you've not said, Callum, you need to stop. You need to stop your caffeine. <laughs> um, you mentioned um, there that, you know, farmers in some respects are athletes, like they're rural athletes and you do a lot of work in sports nutrition now I guess in farming crofting and and rural careers can be very physically demanding and lots of people for various reasons will count calories but it may be that some farmers and their their jobs actually require them to to eat or consume more than the generally advised two and a half thousand or three thousand calories a day what would your advice be to those who are more physically active and need to consume more on a regular basis so i would say they need to do it but again in a healthy balanced way um, a lot of people will think that if they have got higher energy requirements it gives them a bit of a free reign to to eat more sugary snacks and, and sweets and things but actually, when we're physically active, we need to be thinking about protein and, and slow release carbs, because whenever we use our muscles, you know, it's almost like relating our muscles to a tire. Um, they wear out, they get damaged. And every day we have this, um, this cycle of what we call protein degradation. So our muscles break down and then you get the synthesis so that they build back up again. And we must be providing our body with the right nutrients to be able to do that. Um, so that comes in the form of protein. So whether that's a, an animal protein or a plant protein, it's good to have a mix of two. 
and to be able to to support that recovery and I think it's about recovery for the next day to enable that person to be able to do that physically active job every single day and then we need to make sure we have enough carbohydrate so um, carbohydrate is stored in our muscles in, in a substance called glycogen and that's a bit like our, our energy bank um, and in order to be able to replace that energy bank we must have carbohydrate food so bread potatoes rice pasta breakfast cereals um, and healthy snacks in between. Sometimes it's quite hard for those who have got really high energy demands to meet their requirements just from three meals a day. So having snacks, so you know, kind of healthy flapjack-based ideas, things like um, malt loaf, tea cakes, crackers, nuts, dried fruit, that kind of thing would be ideal things to be able to take out with you. We need to make sure it's all acceptable from the point of view that if you have a piece of malt loaf in your back pocket or some dried fruit it's absolutely fine if you sit on it it's not going to matter it's not going to squash whereas if you take a nice healthy high protein yogurt it's it's only going to be okay until you split the pot um so thinking about taking accessible items with us um and really making sure it's a balance i guess really some people listening to this podcast may be in a position where they feel that they need to lose some weight. And one way to do this could be through dieting. Now, dieting's, you know, it's all over the press, it's all over the news, we hear it on radio, we hear it on TV, on podcasts. And something I've always wondered is which diets actually work and what advice would you give? The first advice I would give is ignore the word diet. <laughs> it's a very negative word. Um, it's not a word I like to use um, because actually what does diet mean? It just means the food we eat. But a negative connotation is that a diet makes you lose weight. So actually we need to think about changing our eating habits. We need to think about sustainable changes because actually if we want to lose weight, we need to make changes that we can continue. What a lot of people do is fall into the trap of following these fad diets. So for example, avoiding carbohydrate. Yes, you will lose weight you'll probably lose six, seven pounds in the first week. But the reason you've done that is because you've cut out 50 to 60% of the total energy that you eat every single day. And in order to store um, carbohydrate or that glycogen in our muscle, you actually store two grams of water with every one gram of glycogen. So when you've used that energy in your muscles, you actually dehydrate yourself. So the weight loss in the first couple of weeks is purely dehydration. And then the weight loss doesn't continue. And so then you get fed up. So then you go back to your usual style of eating and then you regain the body weight. So ignore fads is really important. Ignore any diet where it prevents you from eating a particular food group. It's not balanced. You're going to miss out on some vitamins and minerals and there could potentially be a, a long term health complication. So it's really about the other horrible word really is balance, isn't it? Because what is balance? <laughs> um, but it's about having small amounts of each of our food groups. So looking at our plate initially and thinking, OK, how much vegetables have I got on my plate? How much protein? How much carbs have I got? And just as a first step, we could split it into thirds. So a third vegetables, a third of our protein source, a third of our carbs. And that's a great place to start. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to modify it further. Um, with some of my um, very overweight ladies and gentlemen, we have to progress to half of the plate as vegetables and then a quarter and a quarter just thinking about actually how much physical activity are we doing and how much fuel do we need. But the worst thing that you can do is starve yourself and then get hungry because as soon as you get to that hangry stage, your blood sugars are low, 
you're really miserable, you open the fridge and you just look for whatever's there um, and then you overeat. So it's about making sure that we don't get hungry. We eat regular meals and that might include snacks as well. Um, but we and we don't refuse ourselves our treats, making sure that we in, include those in our diet so that we're not feeling neglected and we don't feel that you know we're having to withhold something because then that makes it even more desirable um, and you're more likely to overeat it when you do have it. So it's again, it's about planning. It's about thinking small amounts of regular things throughout the day. Is diet something that should be done on its own or would you recommend say increasing someone's level of physical activity i guess what ways are there that you, that people can increase their levels of physical activity every day so it definitely needs to be done in conjunction with physical activity because if we think about weight being a balance it's the calories that we eat versus the calories that we expend through whatever activity now some activity is just getting up and having a wash and, and walking around and doing our day-to-day living but we do need to do more than that in order to be able to increase our heart rate because don't forget our heart is a muscle and we need to exercise that as well. So thinking about the general, you know, walking 10,000 steps a day, that's ideal. But if you currently only walk 1,000 steps, then that's quite a big task. So it's progressively increasing our physical activity. But it's also thinking about the other things that we do. So, you know, things like ironing, things like um, housework, for example. Yes, men and women can both do housework and it's a great form of physical activity. It's thinking about gardening. Um, it's thinking about, you know, yes, we can do structured activities. So we can do cycling, we can do team sports, but there's other things that we can do within our house. So whether it's, you know, yoga on the floor, whether it's watching a DVD, whether it's watching something, you know, that's being live streamed, it doesn't matter. It's just trying to increase our heart rate enough that we can still have a conversation, but we're not completely out of breath. And that's the target that we're looking for. Um, and hopefully about 30 minutes every day is what we're looking for, for adults to achieve children it's a lot more they need to be doing at least an hour every day but for adults it's about 30 minutes every day is it fair to say anna that with physical activity whatever that physical activity may be it's important that you enjoy it because i guess if you don't enjoy doing something you're not going to continue with it am i right in saying that yes definitely Um, because actually physical activity releases endorphins and it actually can make you feel really good it can make you feel happy and it can help with appetite regulation as well but if you don't enjoy doing it you're not going to get those benefits Um, so you'd have to do something so doing it with a friend um, meeting someone also gives you that commitment that you have to then go and do it for example when I cycle at sort of 10 to 6 in the morning if I know I'm doing it with my friend I'm much more likely to jump out of bed when my alarm goes off at 22 than I am if I'm about to go up on my own and it's still dark and dreary outside. So definitely, we have to enjoy it. It's really important for sustainability. That kind of brings me nicely on to a really interesting programme that is uh, is tailored for farmers and it's called Fit and Farming. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so this is my um, this is my programme that I started um, about five years ago now. Um, when I first started to to really think about our local farming community and the fact that they didn't access health. I thought, well, what can I do to help? Um, if I got a whole bunch of farmers together, would they actually admit um, that they, they are at increased risk of health problems? So I started talking to local farmers, um, shoot seasons around the table, etc. And 
a lot of farmers identified that they would they wanted to go to a group they wanted to manage their weight they didn't want to be overweight some of them wanted to gain weight actually as well but they didn't want to go to a group where you go and get weighed and almost humiliated on a weekly basis if you hadn't achieved what you wanted to achieve because we all know there's an element of competition there as well so I started out and we did a a face-to-face group um, and we met every week for an eight-week period and every week I did a a talk um, on a, a nutrition topic and gradually they made changes to see you know if we could improve their health the group was a fantastic success, so it's been running twice a year, every every year. Um, and this year, we did our first online one. Um, I was very aware that during COVID, um, we wouldn't be able to get together as a group. But I still had, you know, farmers who have been with me for for three years, and they still keep coming back because it helps them maintain their weight. They wanted to still meet together as a group. I was very cautious of doing it online, but it actually worked amazingly well. And what it meant was that I could get some great outside speakers as well from across the country um, and they then didn't have the travel implications. So, yes, it's a it's an eight week program. Actually, the next one starts. I did a little plug here. The next one starts on uh, Wednesday, the 20th of October. Um, and you can sign up for that one now. Um, and we do we do weights at home. But we, we talk about all of the different food groups and really how you can tailor your diet to, to meet your nutritional needs, because everyone completes a food diary, submits it to me individually and you get individual one to one advice. Um, but then we also have outside speakers, so it, it makes it a little bit more fun as well. Is the Fit and Farming programme open to farmers and crofters in Scotland and how how could they register? Yes, it definitely is. And I would be absolutely thrilled um, if people from Scotland would like to uh, to attend. I think it's a fantastic dynamic to have farmers from right across the country being able to, you know, to build that rapport together and discuss lots of common um, common themes across farming. Um, so literally log on to my website, which is www.aegnutrition.com um, and you can book online from there. That really nicely sums up uh, today's podcast. Um, I'm conscious of time. I know that you're very busy, Anna, um, but I would just finally like to thank you so much for taking time out today uh, to help us with this podcast. And we very much look forward to to hearing more about Fit and Farming and uh, more from from what you're doing to support uh, farmers across the country. So yeah, finally from me, A big thank you, and we look forward to hearing more from you uh, in future. Thank you. Thank you so much.